welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Jackson. Arts Access Florida is a comprehensive initiative designed to shine a spotlight on your neighborhood's diverse arts organizations. Each episode will highlight their programs and more importantly, amplify the voices of the people they impact. Conversations, community, and connections. That is the value in engaging with your local arts organizations. Arts access equals arts access. Support for Arts Access Florida comes from the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. Championing philanthropy, encouraging and connecting givers to bring lasting good, investing in education and economic mobility. Learn more at cftampabay.org. In this episode of the Arts Access Florida podcast, we'll interview three organizations that are doing some amazing work in the healthcare and mental health community by incorporating the arts into treatment. We speak with Carrie Kreisman from Creative Clay, whose mission is to make art accessible for people with disabilities while striving to achieve equality. We also talk with Amy Wiggs from the Imperial Symphony Orchestra and Alice Nuttall from the Lakeland Regional Health. The orchestra's partnership with Lakeland Regional Health works with caregivers and patients through music. Finally, we speak with Nora Payne from New Tampa Players about the Penguin Project, which provides theatrical experiences for young adults and students with special needs. If you or someone you know has mental illness, is struggling emotionally, or has concerns about their mental health, there are ways to get help. We have provided access to these resources in our show notes. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And thank you for having me today. How about you tell us a little bit about what Creative Clay is exactly, as well as the mission behind it? Um, Creative Clay is a nonprofit in St. Petersburg, Florida, and our vision is to make the arts accessible to all. Our mission is to help people with disabilities achieve a full and inclusive life through access to the arts. We provide expressive, educational, and vocational experiences. And what about creative care? Creative care is our arts and wellness program. It serves patients, families, and caregivers in healthcare communities. Um, it was started in 2008 as a pilot project with a grant from the Allegheny Franciscan Ministries. And the idea was to offer arts to patients, families, and clinicians at St. Anthony's Hospital, All Children's Hospital, Benedict Haven, which is a group home, and the Ronald McDonald House. In 2013, the St. Pete Glitter Queens presented Creative Clay with a $28,550 check for our Creative Care Children's Programs. And then we were contracted by St. Anthony's to provide arts and healthcare to their patients and staff in the behavioral health, skilled nursing, orthopedics, and oncology units. And that program ended in 2015 when St. Anthony's began its own internal arts and healthcare program. Before the pandemic, Creative Care's teaching artists were providing art outreach at Goodwill, Casa, Menorah Manor, and Sable Palms. And later this year, Creative Clay hopes to launch 
the Creative Care Workshops for Women, which is a therapeutic arts program for female military personnel and veterans. This program will serve female veterans or active duty military. Uh, one of our teaching artists, Kinsey Rodriguez, is a registered art therapist. And she and our director of ArtLink Vocational Services, Marcy Miller, will oversee the program over four eight-week sessions. And this program is funded in part by Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. And the goal of this new program is to tailor art experiences that will help reduce the effects of post-traumatic stress and depression symptoms often associated with the unique experiences that women in the military have. Mm -hmm. So that's where creative care stands for right now. It's been, you know, it's a long standing program, but it's transitioned through the years um, based on how arts and healthcare has changed that industry. Mm -hmm. And how has the, how has art impacted both patients and caregivers within the healthcare setting? It, uh, it provides a stress relief when, when they're going through a difficult time. It also gives um, caregivers, if the caregiver is present when the um, art therapist is there, it gives them a chance to interact with their patient or loved one in a different way rather than just the caregiving of taking one to the doctor, overseeing medical care, you know, things like that that, that um, are less emotional. It, it allows them to express themselves emotionally too, uh, you know, when you're going through a health crisis, there, there's a lot of emotions involved and sometimes the words don't come, but the images do, or the, um, music is soothing. We've had, we had um, teaching artists that came and, you know, maybe played the violin or the guitar and sang with, with the patients at, at all children's or St. Anthony's. So there's definitely different ways. It's not always about you know, pen in hand, paintbrush in hand, you know, creating, there's, there's different ways to experience the arts and uh, arts, arts are healing. Um, like I stated before, and there's certainly lots of data on that from various organizations. There's the, the end that industry has grown, you know, there's, there's college majors dedicated to arts and healthcare now where there wasn't maybe, you know, 15 years ago. So, um, but it helps the, the patient and caregiver interact in a different way that you know is um is therapeutic for everyone because caregivers are also under a lot of stress mm -hmm. and, and definitely you know if it helps them connect with the patients in a different way then there's usually hopefully better outcomes for everyone and now that you say that it seems as though art helps the caregivers understand the patient more mm -hmm. and with that it helps aid the the treatment plans Yes. For the yes. patients. Mm -hmm. it, it's definitely beneficial for everyone. And, you know, when they, um, when creative care went to CASA, you know, that's the uh, domestic uh, shelter, you know, for abused mm -hmm. women and even men and families, but there's a children's, um, a child, a family community where fam, you know, they could live with their children. It wasn't just women ex escaping abuse and they would go and, and work with, the families there, some of our artists and, you know, um, and the creative care instructors could go and, and work on, you know, a Saturday or something and do projects with the kids. And, and that's, you know, definitely when children have been through trauma, you know, if they can express it through art, you know, they can, they can process their feelings and, and, mm -hmm. you know, 
connect in a different way with the parent that they are with after having escaped maybe an abusive situation where the other parent wasn't, you know, so kind to the family. Mm. So that, that's another way, you know, these aren't people in the hospitals, but they are um, definitely in crisis and, and in need of art therapy. When our teams had gone to Sable Palms and Menorah Manor, that's reaching out to, um, you know, the elder care community or the elder community, excuse me. And, you know, that's an often neglected segment of our community. Uh, many people just don't, you know, value what they can bring to the table and the interaction that they still need, even though they may be in the later stages of their lives. And that, that was a really, really wonderful program. And our artists, we, they were on a schedule of going about every Tuesday to Menorah Manor and interacting and creating art with the residents there. And it, it was, it was wonderful. That is wonderful that that community is still included. They shouldn't be forgotten, you know, and, and art is, is definitely therapeutic and healing and should be accessible to all ages. Exactly. Community. And that's what we try to do. I mean, with even in all at all children's, there were, you know, I can't say from birth, but there were some very young children that our uh, team of creative care artists were serving at some point. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time and sharing more information about Creative Clay and the mission and what you do. And just thank you so much for what you do for our community. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for, for what you all are doing with this, uh, the Arts Access platform and you all are making the arts accessible as well. Creative Clay is doing some powerful work in the community through art for disabled individuals. More information on them can be found in our show notes. Hi, Alice and Amy. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Well, I'm really looking forward to learning more about this great organization. So, Amy, I'll start with you. Can you tell us about the Imperial Symphony Orchestra? I'd be glad to. Um, since 1965, the Imperial Symphony Orchestra, or a version of it, has been performing in and around the Lakeland and Polk County area. Um, we started, as many symphonies do, as a community orchestra. And um, to celebrate our 50th anniversary, we actually made the leap to a professional symphony. And so we represent 48 musicians from uh, Lakeland and Central Florida, and we perform symphony concerts, children's concerts, school day concerts, and um, even an opera. We're one of the few places, a few symphonies in the world that creates its own opera every year. So we're, we're pretty lucky to have such an amazing resource right here in Polk County. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the, the partnership with the Imperial Symphony Orchestra and Lakeland Regional? How did this idea come to life? Well, Amy, I'm going to let you take that because you actually called me first. Um, and it was one of the best phone calls I've received in months and months. So, Amy, how did you first have the idea? Oh, I love that, Alice. Thank you. Um, well, our uh, my board chair 
her husband is a physician. And so she has been um, very intentional about making sure that our healthcare professionals and our first responders were, um, were taken care of and recognized for all that, all that they've been doing. And so we took the steps that we could and um, dedicated a video concert series and, and some things um, to, to their honor and, and trying to recognize them as best as we could. And I, to be honest, was watching, I think, a CBS News story about how in areas that were much more severely impacted than Lakeland, Florida, obviously. Um, but how the, the mental health toll that the pandemic was taking on healthcare workers who were literally having to, to make decisions about putting a dying man in the wife's, in the bed of his wife who had just died of COVID, you know, and I, and they, had created um, kind of a, a mental health advocacy program there in the hospital. And I thought, you know, we don't have the capacity to do that. We're not mental health counselors, but we certainly have a product that brings people joy and healing. And so what better opportunity than to fulfill our mission and support the people who have, like Alice said, for a year been supporting us, keeping us us well, delivering our babies, comforting our, our sick and infirm family members. I mean, the, the healthcare profession has taken on so much more, I think, than we realize as a, as a society. And so we really wanted to just be able to give something back and, um, and, and share and Selfishly, too, it gives our musicians an opportunity to play, and that's something that feeds their mental health as well. So when we're in the lobby performing for people, even as they're walking by, you can see their demeanors change. You know, they're kind of rushing in to go to work, but... As they see the, uh, we've had a mandolin and harpsichord, we've had violin, we had a harp, string quartet. And so as you, as you see them walk by, their shoulders kind of relax. They stop even just for a second for an extra breath um, to, to take it in before they have to go face the things that they're facing on the floors above. And so um, we're, we're so excited to be able to share this partnership with the medical center and to give something back to the people who have just given immeasurably mm -hmm. of themselves. So um, I'm appreciative to Alice and, and Danielle and the whole team at the hospital for allowing us to come in. And I know our musicians have just been like super excited to be able to share with, um, with their fellow citizens as well. Wow, what a beautiful partnership. And I, as you're talking, I can envision these musicians in the hallways and they're just bringing joy. They're filling the hallway with music and joy and our frontline workers appreciate it so much. It's Very nice much. to be able to drown out the, uh, 
the kind of the monotonous sound of the hospital lobby. I mean, we've all been there and especially now, um, I, Alice, you guys have these, um, the temperature scanners. And yes. so there's this kind of constant computerized voice that's saying, put your wrist here, you're okay to go, put your wrist here, you're okay to go. And so, which is really important, but it's nice to have something kind of cut through that, um, especially for the folks who get to hear that for 24 hours at a time, I'm sure. <laughs> and we chose the time. They're primarily coming in the evening, um, which is at the end of, I mean, some people have been here for 13 hours. You know, others are coming in to work overnight for their, you know, 12 to 13 hour shift. And depending on what time they report, it's such an amazing, I think, um, thing to kind of as you're leaving to help you sort of ref like reflect and have that sense of, um, like you said, joy and kind of that wonderful sound and gift of the music as you're finishing your day or as you're, you know, coming in and you're trying to refresh and get in a good frame of mind to really take that deep breath and go and take care of our patients just as we would, um, you know, our family members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for um, exhausted, weary team members, it really feeds an important part. Because one of the things that I know, especially in my work around resiliency, is that exhaustion, you don't only have to get good sleep to repair and restore the type of exhaustion we're feeling. We also need to fill ourselves with nurturing things other than just sleep and time off from work. And one of those things is the arts. And, you know, obviously it's, it's for some people, it's a bigger part of their lives than others, but all of us are impacted just as we also need to be making time to get out into nature or to connecting with individuals that are restorative and nurturing to us, you know, connections with people, connections with music, connections with anything that gives you a sense of awe. Like if you have that overwhelming feeling of beauty in the moment, that is one of the most like positive things you can do for your neuro and psychological health. Mm -hmm. If you can experience those moments of awe more frequently, it actually buffers you more against the hardships and things that we may have on a day-to-day -day basis or in something like this, um, you know, with COVID. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I love that you said the keyword connections. And one thing about 2020 and everything that's happened is it's brought people together and connection is so important with everyone being isolated or families, you know, being separated from loved ones who are in the ICU, just the importance of connection. And this partnership is certainly bringing that. Very much so. And it's important that we connect with our patients and people in time of crisis. But in order to prevent people having the, you know, these really, really hard moments where they feel like things are crashing down, you need to feel connected on it. I mean, the um, World Health Organization and CDC, whatever, the number one thing we can do to improve mental wellness, to prevent suicide and all sorts of things is connection. It is that feeling of I'm not alone. I may be struggling and having, you know, a hard day or a hard month or needing some additional support, but you're not alone in it. That connection is what in fact gives people hope. Yes. Alex, yes. I love that you, that you called it a buffer. 
because I think that's um, that's such an a, an incredible descriptor of that. You know, we absolutely know that there are studies that are that tell us that just thirty minutes of active arts activities daily may lower anxiety and depression and help increase life satisfaction. That the arts um, make us feel happier on our well being index, and those things then help to create that buffer for when difficult times arise. And I love that you, that you described it like that, because um, that it is, it's, um, it's something, it, like I said, even for our musicians being able to um, accept and manage the realities of the pandemic. And for many of them not being able to work and not being able to perform and what that's meant for their um, their family life and um, caring for seniors who live with them. I mean, you know, it's, it's just been, um, this opportunity has been so great in kind of rebuilding their buffers as well. I really love that description. Yeah, I and you know the passerbys. We've had so many wonderful comments um, from people in the medical center. We've still had to be really cautious um, with visitors, of course, because of um, COVID and the temperature screenings and that sort of thing. But at any given time, we do have um, folks appropriately in the hospital because they have loved ones in surgery or, like we said, having a baby or what have you. And it has also been such an uplifting moment for those individuals um, because. Most of the time when you're in a hospital waiting room or lobby, it may not be the best day. You know what I mean? You're it's typically you're here for either a test or a procedure or visiting a loved one that is dealing with a medical um, condition that they need extra support. And so the um, community impacts have been well beyond just that, um, you know, the healthcare uh, team members, but also the people that are here and visiting um, our medical center. So we thank you. And I feel like it's just, it's been such a great highlight. It's been so mutually beneficial on both sides um, to really bring us together. In your clinical career, how have you seen the way music impacts patients and caregivers? Well, I have an interesting um, career. I'm actually a nurse by trade. Um, I was born in Lakeland, but um, most of my professional life was spent in Nashville, which is Music City. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to Vanderbilt and my first real role um, was a neuro ICU nurse. And in the neuro ICU, you're taking care of patients who've had really big strokes or head trauma and often are in a coma or are very sick and may not be talking. And it was taught to me very early in my career in caring for these patients with big brain injury that often what you needed to do was to ask the family, what kind of music did they prefer? Did they have a type of music that they liked? And often when you needed to try to help settle a patient or calm them, we would stream music in the room for that patient. And we would keep it at a low volume so it was calm for them. When I worked at a residential treatment facility in Nashville, I worked closely with an organization called Music Cares. And Music Cares is a is a group um, of recording artists that support people that are in the arts that need help with substance abuse and mental health conditions. And often musicians don't always have insurance. And what I learned from my work with Music Cares and the residential facilities in Nashville that were really working to support and care for musicians was that often in how they then processed and healed from their mental health and substance abuse, it was also music related. I can't tell you how many processing groups 
um, you know, started with a core piece of music. Because as we know, I mean, language really comes from primarily the left side of our brain. And much of music may also come from our left side of the brain, but it also transcends and it incorporates the right side of our brain too. And, you know, understanding the rhythm and like that inherent kind of um, beat that you feel that like you want to like tap your foot or, you know, um, you really feel that rhythm that is really ingrained in almost our brain stem. I mean, that is a very natural part of our neurobiology. And so if a patient, um, if you're needing to connect with somebody that is in pain or suffering, music is a really wonderful way to do it. And it's a safe way to feel because I mean, and the songs that may make me sad may make, may not have the same emotion for you but it's a safe way often for us to process that we may not have words, right, to say. So whether you're making music, whether you're listening to music, whether you're sharing that experience with others, there's so many important impactful ways. And the last example I'll share with you is that watching a patient that's in end stages or towards the end of Alzheimer's, who is not recognizing a family member, and, you know, is really struggling to even feed themselves. And if you start to play, um, you know, a gospel hymn or something that that was important to that person, all of a sudden they know all the words. Mm. That, those moments bring, I mean, it, it's just really overwhelming. And I've seen that played out over and over again um, in the, the work that I've gotten to do now, um, you know, and even here at Lakeland Regional Health, we care for patients that are in their more senior years and dealing with, you know, diseases of dementia. And music is such an important part of how we connect with those patients. So we haven't been able to have musicians on our medical, like actually in the unit um, in over a year. We used to have some volunteers that came um, and actually played to our patients. And we really look forward to working that in as well once we really feel like, you know, the COVID um, situation is where we can bring visitors again safely into patient care areas because we really do support how important that is for patients healing. And thank you for sharing those two stories. It really just shows how music plays such a huge role in brain health and as well as mental health. We're so thankful um, that we have such a wonderful, vibrant um, organization here right in Lakeland. Mm -hmm. And um, we can't wait to continue to partner with them to help both their musicians and um, to have the benefits of their beautiful music. Well, Amy and Alice, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today and also building this beautiful partnership that's helping enrich our community and helping those that just need to hear music and just thank you for what you both have been doing. As we just heard, everyone can use some classical music to de-stress. I know I can. Classical WSMR is your locally programmed 24-7 classical music station that's dedicated to playing the best works music has to offer. When you're feeling stressed, why not tune in to 89.1 and 103.9 to begin your session of relaxation.
welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't we start with who you are and what is New Tampa Players? All right. Well, I'm Nora Payne. I'm the president of New Tampa Players, and it's a local community theater up here in New Tampa. And um, we are known for our musicals. Um, We're also known for the Penguin Project. Tell us more about the Penguin Project. Penguin Project is, um, well, I found Penguin Project back a couple of years ago. Um, And Penguin Project is a theater program for children and young adults with special needs. It was originally created by Dr. Andrew Morgan in Illinois. He's a developmental, developmental pediatrician and is heavily involved with community theater. And he saw that his patients did not have access to the same types of theater programs that his own children did. So he took on that obstacle and invented the Penguin Project. There's now 43 replication sites all across the United States of the Penguin Project. And we're the first replication site in Florida. So each year we produce a junior length musical where all the roles are played by children and young adults with special needs. Our youngest is seven and our oldest is 25. Mm -hmm. And each young artist is matched with a peer mentor who works with them throughout the production process, even including the performances. The peer mentor is there to support them, whether they need a line whispered in their ear or a hand squeeze of reassurance. So in 2019, we produced Aladdin Jr. with a cast of 60. And in 2020, just before before quarantine, we produced Peter Pan Jr. with a cast of 80. So we're hoping that we can do Mary Poppins Jr. in 2022. Wow, this sounds like such an amazing project. I took a peek at your website because I was so intrigued by what this is. And I noticed that... Instead of using the term special needs, you refer to these students as young artists, and I can really admire that. When they're a part of the Penguin Project, they're a young artist when they're on stage. They definitely are, and all the roles in a Penguin Project production are filled by our young artists. Our peer mentors are not there to perform. They do perform in the sense that they're on stage so they don't stand there stoically or anything you know they participate in the group numbers and they interact as you know if there's something going on stage that all of us are supposed to pay attention to they're paying attention to that too so they don't draw away from the performance but the penguin project productions are not about the peer mentors they're all about the young artist and once the um, production is over are there lasting relationships after they definitely do. And we made a lot of ways to make sure that that happened after and during COVID-19 because many of our young artists have really not gone anywhere because of their medical situations during COVID-19. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have phone calls over Zoom for 30 minutes where they can just chat. You know, it's the, how was your day? How was your day? What did you do? What, you know, a very popular um, topic right now is what did you see on Disney Plus? So WandaVision <laughs> has been huge. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's been huge. So we do those and we've done those ever since the beginning of April. Mm-hmm. Um, we also did Penguin Project at home. So that mm-hmm. we, we couldn't do a play over Zoom because that is really, really difficult. But we did um, a series of four classes. So we divided the whole group, peer mentors and young artists, into four groups, basically based upon their age. Um, and they went through a rotation of classes. One, they worked together to work to write a, their own play. And we did a table reading of that over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Then in another one, they worked on making their own original choreography to songs that they love. And then we did um, spoken word poetry. I had a spoken word poet come in and work with them on how to write a poem. And they wrote their own poems to perform. 
And then we had a visual art rotation where uh, artists um, from Arts for All Florida came in and taught them about painting and about drawing. Mm -hmm. So they had many, many ways to create their own art, even though we couldn't do Penguin Project in the traditional mm -hmm. sense. Um, and another thing that we've done is we've invented Happy Huddle News. Um, we're now on our fifth episode of Happy Huddle News, and it's just a positive news story um, series mm -hmm. because many of our young artists and our peer mentors were a little down about everything that was happening in the world and with COVID, and they couldn't really see all of the positive things that were happening in our community. Mm -hmm. So we, a group of peer mentors got together and we started working on a series where we could help point out the positive things that are going on in our community. So a peer mentor leads a segment. So they do very much like what we're doing right now. They interview a guest and then we put the segment together and the young artist help the young artist helps them host the segment. Um, we've done one on Habitat for Humanity's Women's Bill project that's just starting. We did one on the Super Bowl about all the things that were, you know, new and different about the Super Bowl. Um, so things like that, things that are going on in our community that are fun and positive, they can put a smile on people's faces. That is awesome. And what um, type of content is this? Is this a, a podcast? Is it uh, YouTube or video? It's a video, it's a video segments on YouTube. So oh. they're on our new Tampa players, YouTube, and they're also on arts, um, arts access too. Um, we have to upload episodes three and four, but we're going to do that mm -hmm. very soon. Those were just finished mm -hmm. this weekend. Oh, that's awesome. I love the content you're creating with your, your students. That's amazing. And it's been a lot of fun for them and they've learned a lot, um, especially the, the peer mentor and the young artist that's working for the women's build there on those segments, they got to create a two by four stud. So they got two by four studs that are eight feet long mm -hmm. and they got to paint them. And those studs will go into the new house. So they'll always know where their stud in the wall in that house is. Um, and they got to put all types of positive messages and pretty paintings on it. It was really cool. That's wonderful. And have you noticed any transformations in your young artists from the beginning to the end? Like has participating in the Penguin Project just brought the best out of them? Have you noticed a difference in your, in your students? We noticed differences in almost all of them from the beginning to the end of a production. And now that we've done, now that we've had three years with them, we've noticed big, big differences. Um, one of the ones that I like to point to is um, when we did Aladdin, we had a um, young artist who talked very quietly. I won't talk as quietly as he talks because you probably wouldn't hear me. But it was just above a whisper. Um, and we cast him as Jafar. Um, which is the villain in Aladdin. And um, he, he was also at the time pretty short. So he, he, was, he was short and he had the big tall Jafar hat on. And all through the process, all through the rehearsals, um, I'm talking to him like, you're gonna have to talk a little bit louder. You know, we want your mic to pick you up, you know. Right. And we all these games with him. Um, you know, we would stand on one side of the stage and have him stand on the other and have him talk in his loudest voice. <laughs> And um, when, a, um, when somebody came up with the concept of like, you know, being able to turn up his volume dial. So we would walk over and go, we're turning up your volume dial now, you know. And then on opening night, he came out and he delivered his first line and it was in a whisper, but it was a comic line. And it, you know, our sound technicians are wonderful and they, you know, they were able to turn up all of the sound so that he could be heard. And he, everybody started laughing. 
you know, you know, and he looked around with these big, big eyes. And he realized at that moment that what he said was funny and these people were reacting to it. So his very next line, he just yelled it. And I mean, of course the sound went crazy because we had it all turned up for, you know, for his whisper voice, you know, and of course the sound technicians got it all under control. But from that point forward, he was projecting all of his lines with a lot of confidence. And that was really, really neat to see. Wow. And that was a big confidence boost for him, I'm sure. It was. It really, really was. (laughs) What type of feedback have you received from the parents? Our parents are wonderful. They, they truly, I mean, they're, they're amazing, amazing, amazing people. And they, and they really work hard to support Penguin Project. Um, And I hear from them very often. Um, And they talk about how their, how Penguin Project has helped their children. They talk about how it's helped other children. It talk, they talk about how um, friends of their children come to see our productions and then join Penguin Project the next year um, and all the difference that it's really made in their families. That's wonderful. It just shows that Penguin Project is just impacting the community and word of mouth and just all, all positivity. That's wonderful. It really is. It, it <laughs> definitely, it definitely it ha- Penguin Project has definitely a space in my heart. It was so great to learn about the organizations that are addressing mental health and disabilities. And not only that, but by providing people with the opportunity to have a space in the arts community. To find out more about our guests today, please take a look at our show notes. I'm Brianna Jackson, and you have been listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast. This show is a product of WUSF Public Media with the help of our founding sponsor, the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. Our show is produced by Aaliyah Moffitt, Chandler Balcom, and Leslie Laney. A special thanks to our editor, Scott Walkler, and our entire engineering team. You can find out more information, performances, and other content that our local arts groups are creating by following us on Facebook or Instagram and visiting our website, artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L.org. Copyright 2021, WUSF Public Media.